doing a phenomenal, phenomenal job in leading us in worship. Okay, let's sit down. Let's open our Bibles. Everybody say word. Uh Uh-huh. Matthew chapter 13, very significant passage as it relates to the kingdom of God being unleashed and ushered in in this upside-down world in which we live. So Matthew chapter what? 13. Yes, this is a passage of parables, uh, and we will unpack a few of them. Now, a very common form of pop art that was used, uh, maybe predates some of your students, but maybe you guys have seen these before. I always enjoyed them. They were on posters and, and uh, sometimes hanging up in office spaces or in the mall or what. Do y'all remember the mall? Do y'all go to the mall? The mall was cool, right? Remember the food court? Ah, food court at the mall was sweet. Anyway, so hanging up at the mall would often be, and Matt, or the guy who was doing graphics tonight, or this morning, he goes, I think your picture's messed up. And I'm like, no, 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 this is one of those old stereograms. And basically what you would do is you would stare at it, and I would, I would stare at it, and then there was like this whole process of like relaxing your eyes or crossing your eyes or tilting your head or whatever. And then all of a sudden this 3D image would appear. Y'all remember what I'm talking about? Can anybody in here see this image? No, I didn't think so. Yeah, because once I translated it from the computer screen. Anyway, just trust me, there's an eagle. Like, just. And what I loved about the stereogram is like once you saw it, you couldn't help but see it. And it was just like, it would like pop out at you. When there was always that one friend or whatever that couldn't see it. Remember that guy or that gal? Like no matter how much. So, Barbara, you could never, anybody else want to confess? You're like, I never could see him. I'm so sorry. And there were times where you just, oh, just relax your eyes. You have to give them all the points. And then they, there was that friend who like pretended like they saw it. They're like, oh, yeah. It's a horse. You're like, no, it's the whole cityscape of New York City. You're not seeing that at all. Well, it's funny as that is, as it relates to stereograms and pop art. Okay, we can take that down. It, it's, it's funny, right, when it comes to that. But when it comes to the teachings of Jesus, it's deadly serious. Because it, it, Jesus' teaching is like, it's clear, and it's, it's presented right in front of us. And here, here's, what's, here's what's kind of, here's what's deadly serious about it, is, is there are some people who will see it, and once you see it, you can't help but see it, and there are others who, even though it's right in front of their eyes, they cannot see it. And they never can see it. And as we, we are looking at this discussion of the kingdom of God, the teaching of Jesus is literally right in front of us. And as we saw last week, there, there's a particular posture. And what I mean by posture, it's a way we approach life. It's a kind of like a worldview and a way that we see ourselves and the way we see God. There's a, there's a posture where God says, okay, I'm going to reveal the kingdom of God to you. And it is those who approach Jesus in a, a childlike, a dependency, a, a position of saying, look, I, I cannot be the God of my own life. I need something greater than myself. I need a savior. And when we take that posture, the kingdom of God is revealed to us and we see it. Can't help but see it. But it's in those who take the posture of pride or arrogance or self-exaltation. I don't need a savior. It's like they will not see it. And it's even more serious than that because Jesus said last week as we looked in the scripture that, that those who, who do see, those who have spiritual sight are given mysteries of the kingdom of God. But that those who do not see, do not hear, do not receive, will not receive, will not see the kingdom of God. And that's, that is profoundly serious. Now, I, I think the, the thought that comes to mind way to illustrate it is like this. So, you know, you go down to the Department of Motor Vehicles when you're 16 or 17 years old, Right? Y'all remember that time? Some of you were like, it's coming. 
And it's kind of terrifying, right? Like you study, you prepare, and you go down there. And, and what is your goal? What do you want more than anything? You want that driver's license. And there's a few tests, right? You got the eye exam, okay? And they, and they want to make sure that you can, you hear and you understand like basic rules of the road and you can actually apply it. But if you go down there, you do not pass the basic eye exam. You do not have the, the basic knowledge or understanding. You can't hear the instructions of the, road, the rules of the road and you cannot drive well. They're not going to give you a driver's license. They're not going to entrust you with something as valuable as a driver's license if you can't see or hear or understand, which it's kind of hard because then I look at people who drive around me and I'm like, how in the world? Right? You ever heard that question? Like, there's no way you passed a driver's test. You had your right blinker on, you turn left. I am no expert. That was pretty funny, Stephen. I, I appreciate that. Well, the same is, and, and even more importantly, Jesus is not going to entrust the kingdom principles, the mysteries, the secrets of the kingdom of God to those who cannot spiritually see, hear, or apply. They're too valuable. And as we, as we look at Jesus' teaching, one of the ways that he, he taught and one of the ways that he exposed the kingdom principles in this upside-down world was the use of a particular form of teaching that had a way of hiding and revealing at the same time. And it was the use of parables or parabolic teaching. And we looked at this last week. The use of the parable was a common story or illustration told in such a way that once the hearer was really applying their, their faculties, they could hear it, understand, and then apply it. But this type of teaching really concerned the disciples. Because they were like, hey, Jesus, why don't you just come out and plainly see it, say it? Because there are some people who are hearing these stories and they're not getting it. And Jesus goes, well, that's the point. There are some people who will hear and receive and apply, and there are some people who will hear but not hear, and they will not receive, they will not apply it to their life. It had a way of like sorting the world. Well, we're going to look at one particular parable. In fact, I think it is the most important parable that if we get this parable, it unlocks all of the other parables. In fact, Jesus, when asked about this particular parable, after he delivered it, his disciples came up to him and said, hey, what's the interpretation of this parable? Always go looking for the interpretation. Well, they ask, and Jesus says in Mark 4, I know it said Matthew 13, but just stay with me because we're going to look at some other passages that have the same telling and reveals a little bit more some of the other gospel accounts. Mark 4, he said to them, do you not understand this parable? This parable being the parable we're going to look at this morning. He says this, how then will you understand all of the parables? Can you bring up Mark 4 verse 11? To you it has been given, nope, Mark 4. Is that Mark 4? Is it really? Now I got to go look at it. All right, let's look. Mark 4, maybe it's not verse 11. Mm, 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 mm. Oh, Mark 13. Oh, Mark 4, verse 13. Sorry, two verses off. Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all of the parables? Jesus saying this is the chief of all parables. This is the key, the master key that unlocks all of the parables. And it tells us why some people are going to see it and some people will not. Like some people will, will apply it to their lives, the teachings of Jesus, and be fruitful, and other people will not be fruitful. And here's what's, here's what's fascinating to me, that there are some people in this world and in this culture and in this room 
who will live a life that is described as fruitful. And what I mean by fruitful, that the word of God, the words of Jesus will take root in your life and you will produce spiritual fruit. Not you will produce it, but God working in and through you will produce spiritual fruit. While there are others who will hear that exact same word and there will be no fruit in their life. And here's what's interesting. There, there's no outside determining factor of how a person will receive or not. It, socioeconomics doesn't dictate it. Educational level doesn't dictate it. Geographic location doesn't dictate it. That literally every person on earth has the potential of producing fruit once the word of God touches their life. Some will and some will not. Well, that may not seem like a big deal to you, but it, it is a, a very serious issue. Because as I look at it, and as we look at this particular parable, fruitfulness is really the center of the discussion. I want to live a fruitful life. I really do. Like, I desire to bear up spiritual fruit. And in fact, as we look at this parable, we're going to see that three out of four people, I don't know if this is statistically accurate across all of culture or across this room, but I think it's pretty, pretty descriptive and indicative of, of the human response that three out of four people will not bear fruit in the parable that we're looking at. And so whether that's accurate of three out of four people or if that's just the broad section of culture, I'm willing to bet that in this room right now are going to be four different responses to the words of Jesus. And out of the four different responses, only one type of person will bear fruit. And where we can argue back and forth in this parable, is this describing, are these all believers or unbelievers? Or I stand on some pretty strong biblical foundation when I make this statement. If there is no spiritual fruit in our life, none. Like through the course of our whole entire life. And I'm not talking about like that last second, hail Mary pass, like that last moment breath of expression of faith in Jesus. Like the thief on the cross... The very last moment of his life, Lord Jesus, I believe, remember me. Was that a touchdown? Absolutely, because Jesus replied, today you will be with me in paradise. So I'm saying, barring the last minute, Hail Mary of faith. If there is no evidence of spiritual fruit in a person's life over the course of their life, I would, I would really strongly, strongly challenge a person to ask themselves, am I truly a believer? Because if I am truly a believer and place my faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit has come in my life. And guess what the Holy Spirit brings about in my life? Holy stuff. Okay? I know, theologically profound, right? Holy stuff. So, Matthew chapter 13, verse 1, we're going to start the parable. Uh, the, it's, this verses start out, that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. What day? Well, the day. He's doing ministry. Okay, his teaching, his preaching, proclamation, revealing of the kingdom of God on this particular day, he goes and sits by the sea. He takes the posture of a teacher. And that's very much how we should see Jesus. We should see him as our teacher, our master. We should come and sit at his feet. You have much to teach us, Jesus. Who else has the words of eternal life? We come and sit at your feet. And on this particular day, as in many days of his earthly ministry, many people began to gather. In fact, crowds. Verse 2, we're told that great crowds gathered about him, so much so that he had to get into a boat and sit down. So there was just no more room for him on the beach. So he pushes out from shore. We are told in, in another account that most likely this is Peter's fishing boat. 
And so this beach serves as like this natural amphitheater, and the, the water itself is kind of like an amplifier. I don't know if you've ever sat on a lake in really the still coolness of the morning. A slight whisper can be heard across those waters. My, my prayer is this morning that there would be a stillness here in this place. Stillness in our minds and in our souls and in our hearts, that even just the whisper of Jesus' words would be heard across these waters. It is from this posture, that, from this place of sitting and, and speaking, that Jesus addressed the crowds. And here's what's fascinating to me. Just because crowds are gathered, and we're often impressed when someone can gather a crowd, just because a crowd is gathered does not mean a crowd gets it. As, as we're going to see the description of the different types of people who hear the teachings. Anyway, verse 3 Jesus told them many things in parables. Uh, in fact, chapter 13 records a, a collection of those parables. But this first parable he delivers, he says, A sower went out to sow. So as we read that, a very common illustration of that present day, Palestine. And I think for the majority of us, even though we're mostly city dwellers, we're going to get this illustration. This is going to make sense to us. And I quote here from the Net Bible that, that gives us a little bit of more background information. Again, the illustration I don't think is going to be lost on us. But the background for this well-known parable, drawn from a typical scene in Palestinian countryside, is a field through which a well-worn path runs. Sowing would occur in late fall or early winter, October to December, in the rainy season, looking for sprouting in April and May, and really harvesting in June. And so as, as I'm looking at this particular parable, there's a, good light, there's a good chance that Jesus is probably delivering this particular parable during the season of sowing. So it's like a sower goes out to sow. Hey, like that guy over there, like up on the hillside. You see that guy? That guy who's casting seed? A sower goes out to sow, and immediately the, the gathered crowds would have a connection with the illustration that is being used. And so through the parable, Jesus uses different pictures to, to provide a teaching. In this particular parable, the sower represents something very significant, or someone very significant. In fact, we find the interpretation in Mark chapter 4, verse 14, the sower sows the word. So what is the sower? Who is the sower? Okay, in the context, it is Jesus. That is right. He's, he's sitting in the boat and he's sowing. Okay, so the sower is the preacher or the sharer. We are told what the seed represents in Luke chapter 8, verse 11. We are told that the seed is the word of God. And so the sower sows, that is the sower shares the word of God. And when that seed, that is the seed of the word of God, is sown, that seed is going to land on different types of soil. In fact, in the parable, we're going to look at four distinct types of soil. And really, each one of the soils is representative of four different types of hearts where the soil or where the, the seed is going to land. And as we go through this parable, we're going to look at two of the soils this morning. Next week, we'll look at the following two. But as we look at each of the soils, I'm going to give you the interpretation side by side so that you can not only see the illustration that Jesus uses, but you can also see the immediate interpretation so we are able to glean the principles that Jesus is teaching us this morning. 
And so the picture is of an ancient sower. Here's, here's what an ancient sower would have looked like. They would have walked around and they would, they would have had a bag and they would have broadcast seed. And as I kind of connect to this, it's like my semi-annual spreading the seed and the fertilizer in my front yard. I use a broadcast spreader and so I, I fill the hopper up and I'm walking. Y'all do this? No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Okay, so as I'm doing this, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, some of the seed and the fertilizer lands on the concrete. Okay, so that's a complete waste, but nonetheless, if I'm going to get it all over the grass, I'm going to get some on the concrete. Some will land on the, the dirt, which really should be grass, but it's dirt, and some of it lands on the planter, and then the goal of it is obviously to get the majority of it to land on what? The grass. That is the intended purpose of why I'm doing what I'm doing. But inadvertently, some will land on concrete, some will land on dirt, some will land on the planter, and some will actually land on grass. Well, the same is to be said of the sower. There was an intended place for that seed to land, and it was described as good soil. But along the way, some of that seed is going to land on what is not good soil. Now, the seed in the particular parable is interesting because seed is designed to do one thing. What is it designed to do? It's designed to grow. Seed is designed to grow. And here's something that we just need to chew on and carry with us from here on out. If the word of God, that is the words of Jesus, if they are not producing fruit in your life, if it is not planted and growing, the problem is not the word of God. Something has gone terribly wrong in our hearts. And and this parable is going to show us pretty directly what is getting in the way of us producing fruit. Okay, verse 3, he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and he sowed. Some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. And so the picture is these footpaths that were worn through the field. As the sower went out to sow, some of the, so- the seed would land on this path, this hard-packed soil. And there's no way that the seed was going to penetrate the concrete. Like, I don't have any thought in my mind when I'm fertilizing. Like, I'm not, oh, my concrete's going to get fertilized. No, I know that. That's not even a reality. There's no way because it's concrete. And these savvy birds just hang out and they're like, oh, free quick meal. And then Jesus goes, well, let me give you the interpretation because it's more insidious than just a group of birds. In fact, the word, I want you to look up here at the verse uh, right before that. Let's, yep, verses three and four. Uh, And he sowed some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured. That word devour means to eat ravenously. And the best way I can illustrate it is, is through this video. Go ahead, play that, that video. So we've got a plate of seed. You know, just kind of sitting there. Well, there's one bird. Oh, a couple more. All right, quick meal. Man, look at that. Ravenous. Here comes more. You see the birds in the background? That's what Jesus is saying. He's like, hey, just like birds will ravenously eat seed that lands in a very easy spot, he says, these birds, it's more insidious than just a bird. In fact, this, these birds or bird, it's representative of the ministry of something very evil in this world. 
And over the course of the series, we've talked about the demogorgon of this age, the fallen angel. We've talked about the one who seeks to devour us, that seeks to destroy our souls. In fact, he's at work in the ministry of blinding our minds. He's also in the ministry of devouring the word of God before it ever penetrates our hearts. Look at Matthew chapter 13, verses 18 through 19, because we get the interpretation. Jesus says, Hear then the parable of the sower. That is, hear now the interpretation of this illustration. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and doesn't understand it, that is, they don't perceive it, it doesn't seem relevant, kind of falls on deafened ears. When when that happens, the evil one comes and snatches, that is, to devour, to take what has been sown in his heart, that it is risky according to the the evil one, to leave the teaching of the word of God in your life. Why? What is the purpose? What is he trying to keep from happening? Well, we're told in Luke's gospel that the evil one has an invested interest in keeping you from believing and being saved. Look at Luke chapter 8, verse 12. It says, the ones along the path are those who have heard... Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. The evil one has a vested interest in keeping you from believing prior to that, hearing, believing, and then being saved. And that's why I think it's so powerful, like when we take one verse, and there's one verse that comes to mind with like, if I was going to say this encapsulates the entirety of the message, here's some seed that I'm just going to sow out here right now. And I think this verse serves as a great litmus to where your heart is right now, where my heart is. Because if this verse just goes out and you're like, mm, it's kind of like, ah, it doesn't seem that relevant. I seem that important. Ah, I've heard this before. Man, this might be indicative of where our hearts are at. John 3, 16, for God, I mean, that just in itself, the very beginning of that is seed being sown. There is a creator. And in our culture and world, that's one of those things where people are like, eh, I don't need something bigger than myself. I'm the God of of my own life. Oh, no, no. For God so loved, that rooted in the heart and the character and nature of God, our creator, is this love for his creation. He loved who? Who does he love? The world, and as we've described the world, this upside-down world in which we live, we're like, why? Why would God love this world? Why would he be about the messy and the broken and the real? It's love that motivates him to do something that is staggering. When we consider it, he gave his only son. He gave something of, of so much value and worth. That is, he gave his son to die on the cross for our sins to be risen from the grave, that all who believe in him will not what? Perish. That word is is to eternally be separated, but will have eternal life. Like when I read that, when I consider that, I'm like, whoa! Like, wow, God so loved me. It like becomes personal. But this is just like the sowing of the word, man. It just gets sown out there, and and it sometimes will land on a hard heart, and Satan just comes and picks it all up for the express purpose of keeping you from believing and being saved. And that makes makes me really consider the work of the evil one. We are told that in 1 Peter 5, 8, that this adversary, 
this one who sets to blind our minds, this one who devours the word of God the second it lands on the hard heart, that his, the adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So we've looked at the devouring of seed. This is even more intense than that because he doesn't just desire to devour the truth of God's word that lands in your life. He desires to eat you. A lion, that word devour is describing a lion as it eats its prey bones and all. The evil one desires to eat you bones and all. No one likes to die alone, and the adversary wants to take as many people to hell with him as he can. There's a vested interest in that. He desires to devour you. He desires to devour your family. He desires to devour your your kids and your grandkids and your extended family. Desires to devour this culture. And if you cannot see his devouring ministry at work in our lives today, then there is some level of blindness that's going on. He uses every means, every opportunity, every portal into our lives to set about this devouring ministry. We need something greater than ourselves in our life. That is why we are told to armor up. That is why we are told to fight, to stand our ground as believers, because there is an adversary. And so often, when we're unaware of this ministry, devour away. So that is the first type of soil. And it's hard, because as I read that, I'm like, well, sometimes I've got a hardness of heart. There are times where I don't want to hear, I don't want to see, I don't want to be around the Word of God, I don't want to be around people of the Word of God, and I'm like, wow, there's some type of devouring happening in my life. The second type of soil that is described, it's kind of confusing because on the surface, it looks like it's good soil. There's growth that happens immediately, but then it's revealed by its lack of, uh, uh, of, of depth. In fact, look at verse 5 of chapter 13 of Matthew. It says, Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up. But since they did not have depth of soil, there was no root structure. When the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Now, I find this interesting. Out of all of the soils, Jesus dedicates more words to this particular type of soil. I'm pointing back here. You can't see this, but there's a monitor back there. Jesus dedicates more words to this discussion of this particular type of soil than any other soils. Now, I don't know if he just needed a little bit more room to explain it, or this is like the majority of people who hear. But as he describes this particular type of soil, he's describing the the soil that often was butted up against the good soil. It had had not been really tilled. It was rocky. It sat sat above a little bit of limestone. And and really, the root structure couldn't go down, so it shot up real quick. And then the sun would rise up, and it would scorch it. Well, Jesus tells us the interpretation. And he says, hey, be careful. Because not only is a hard heart very possible, but so is a rocky heart, and so is a shallow heart heart, shallow faith. Look at verse 20, chapter 13 of Matthew. It says, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. These are the folks where they look in and people are like, ah, they found religion, right? It's like they released that cool Christian album. And we're like, wow, they're believers. But then all of a sudden, they, like, years later are being interviewed or you talk to them, and they're like, ah, yeah, I walked away from the whole Jesus thing. And you're like, whoa, what happened? Well, this parable tells us what happened. It goes on to say, yet this person, they hear, they're joyous. Yeah, they receive it with joy. 
Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. But when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. And that falling away is almost impossible to win somebody back. And here's, what's, here's what blows my mind. What Jesus is saying is, when somebody experiences hardship or difficulty, the lack of depth is revealed. And here's what I want you to hear, and here's what we're not talking about in the North American church, is you're going to face tribulation. You're going to face difficulties. You're going to face adversarial circumstances. Not only do you have an adversary, you're living in an upside-down world. Things are going to be difficult just because you follow Jesus. And there are times where I hear people preach, hey, come to Jesus and all your anxiety is going to go away. Come to Jesus, all your depression is going to go away. Come to Jesus and everything's going to be made right and everything's going to be sweet. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Jesus said, blessed are you when you were persecuted. That the way of following him is hard and arduous and difficult. And family, I'm going to tell you right now, if there is no depth to our spiritual life when difficulty arises, and in fact, in Luke, we're told that not only is it persecution and tribulation, but it's the testing of our faith that reveals lack of depth. We are going to be tested. And that means the the existence of our life is going to be heated up. And you know what happens when things are heated up? What's really beneath the surface gets revealed. So it's just like you take a metal and you heat it up and all the dross comes up to the surface. Well, our lives, you ever feel like your life is getting heated up through circumstances? Like heat of conflict. Do you ever have that heat of conflict in your life? Are you married? <laughs> Do you desire to be? Do you have friendships? Do you work in a place with other people? Do you shop at Walmart? <laughs> There's going to be heat, man. And you want to know what heat does? What difficulties do? It reveals the substance of our faith. And at times, all it does is scorch and wither because there has been no depth. Shallow soil, shallow faith. So those are the first two types of soil. First is hard packed. The second is shallow and rocky. Tell me, how much fruit has been produced in those two types of hearts? Zero fruit. We want to be fruitful believers, right? And what's, what's hard is as I look at this particular parable, and we're going to flesh out next week, is it seems like the minority of people who are believers in Jesus produce fruit. Man, when I read that, I'm like, I want to be a part of that minority. I want to be a fruitful follower. So let's talk some applications. First of all, hidden in plain sight. I say that just to reorient our minds to that beautiful stereogram that none of us could see. But here's the reality. The teachings of Jesus are literally hidden in plain sight. It's literally right here. And in fact, <laughs> they even make it easier. They, my Bible makes his words in red. Y'all see that? Which is, is kind of a misnomer because actually all of this is the word of Jesus. Like Jesus is the word that John tells us that he is the word. But his teaching is literally right here. It is our joy to discover it. And here's what's incredible. When you start to really see the teachings of Jesus and we stop seeing it as this like taskmaster kind of relationship, but we see it as something that is a loving and gracious relationship where he says, come to me when you're weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. When we, when we start to see Jesus that way and encounter him that way and have a relationship with him that way, we come to see what was once hidden from us as now plain sight. 
And you know what the joy is? When you get to start living it out for others to see. And you get to share it with others. And you get to walk up to your friends and go, you know, for God so loved you. He gave his one and only son. And you know what? You're not responsible for someone's response. Even Jesus, when he preached, there were people who didn't believe. But we're still called to be sowers, to be sharers of the word of God, to literally take it and be a conduit, apply it to our own life, and then give it out to others. There's so many teachings in here that have changed my life. And they're going to change your life, our lives together. This is our book. Let's grow in it. Secondly, uh, devoured. These last two applications really are the litmus of our hearts, right? The hard heart is the bird's delight. The insidious nature of the bird of this passage. Desiring to eat up, to keep you from believing, to keep you from being saved. The only remedy I know of to a hard heart. This is the only remedy. This is the only anecdote. It's the only medicine I know of is to turn to Jesus and to just confess it. And this can be for believers' lives too. There are times where my heart, my heart gets so hard that I don't want to hear, I don't want to read, I don't want to see. I'm not the better for it. There's this devouring ministry. Can some of us relate to that? You ever found yourself hard, hard-hearted to the word of Christ? Not wanting to be around community, not wanting to pray. Sometimes it's our circumstances. And, and I just want to encourage you, you find yourself in that place. Sometimes we, we got to do what's right even though it doesn't feel right. There are times where I literally have to force myself. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to wake up and I'm going to spend my first part of my day in the word of God. I don't really feel like it. But I know it's right. I'm going to spend time praying, and I, I've, I've started just journaling every morning, you know, writing out my prayers and, and talking to the Lord. And you know what's crazy is the more that I do that, the more that I turn to him, the more that the hardness of the heart gets broken up, and the more that his seed takes root and starts to produce fruit in my life. I invite you into that. Maybe right now that's kind of the description of your heart. You're like, yeah, it is kind of hard in there. Well, and then finally, scorched and withered. I mean, these are kind of the consequences. Devoured, scorched, and withered. One of the great diagnoses of the North American church. Here it is. You ready to hear how most church experts are diagnosing our culture? It's not super positive. The church in North America is described as a mile wide but an inch deep. I want you to think about that for a moment. It is said that we are surviving on Christian cliché. In teaching that has no substance. We are trying to sustain a spiritual life without spiritual food. And that, that many in the North American church can speak a little bit of Jesus. But really have no relationship. There's no depth. I said this last week, I speak a little Spanish. <laughs> I know this is profound. Um, I can extend a warm greeting and sometimes that gets me in trouble. Because it reveals I really don't speak Spanish. At times I'll, I'll extend a warm greeting. Hola, como estas? Oh, 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 yeah. See, that's as far as I go. Donde esta la biblioteca? Yo soy muy hombre. Es todo. Well, some of us speak a little bit of Jesus. But you get sat before the word of God. 
or the teaching of the word of God gets set before you and you realize that there's really no depth there. You are doing yourself, we're doing ourselves no favors by having a shallow Christian faith. In fact, we are called to intense discipleship to grow in our Christian life. And I, I, my, my encouragement is, if there is a hardness or if there is a shallowness, this is a great opportunity in this time in your life to say, you know what? I don't want to be a hard heart and I don't want to be a shallow heart. I want to be fruitful. And next week we're going to see how abundant that fruit can be. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. It is not always my favorite experience because there are times where you're revealing stuff in my life that I don't want to have revealed. But I need it. If it's not for your teaching, if it's not for your word, if it's not for your spirit, Lord, I would be wandering. It does us no benefit to not be taught, to not be in your word. And thank you for your gracious word today. I pray that, Lord, just like seed is cast out, I pray that it lands on a good heart. Lord, if there's a hardness or if there's a rockiness to our hearts right now, a great place to start is just to tell you, be honest, you know. With our eyes closed, our heads bowed, I want you to hear this, friend. If you're here today and you're like, you know what, I got a hard heart. And maybe you've heard the teachings of Jesus many times. Maybe today's different. Maybe today you hear that Jesus Christ died for you, that he loves you. And that all who believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And maybe for the first time in your life, you're like, you know what? I don't want to be devoured. I don't want to perish. I want to have everlasting life. I want to give my life to Jesus. If that is your heart, if you feel like the Lord moving in your heart right now to that effect, in the quietness of this place, tell him. Lord Jesus, I believe. I believe that you died for me. I believe you were buried. I believe you've risen. Jesus, you're my only hope. Please, Jesus, save my life. You are the rescuer. You are the bondage breaker. Please, Jesus, come into my life. I need you. If that is your heart's prayer, It is a prayer that is stirring heaven. The Bible says if that is your true desire, you pass from death to life. When you invite Jesus into your life, he comes and makes his home with you. He saves. Welcome to the family. Lord Jesus, we turn our whole lives to you. May the hardness be broken up, and may the shallow be made deep. Have a profound work in our life. We want to be fruitful. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.